The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about why it's important to use a copy editor, and it, when you're going to use a copy editor, how to vet them so that you know that they're actually going to give you the help that you need. One of the things I want to start doing with this podcast is to start every episode with what I'd like to call story time, where I give you, the wonderful listener, a story that ex- that explains why the concept that I'm going to discuss that day is so important. So here's trying my very first story, and thank you for adventuring and sojourning with me in this podcast, and we'll see how this goes. Today's story is going to be the story of the popular writing group guru who is probably going to get sued. And the thing is, I try to help people for free a lot, which is a mistake if you own a business, because then people don't really value the service that you're providing them with. And I got asked to be part of an ARC group for a book that came out recently, and I went ahead and I started reading the book. And I noticed something that was glaring. I mean, I noticed quite a few things that were glaring, but one of them uh, is a very important legal issue that I was taught about in my copy editing program that I went through at UCSD, and that's the idea of permissions. And as I was reading through this ARC copy, I noticed that there were giant chunks of unattributed text from really popular books. And the thing is, a lot of writers will say, oh, well, I can use this certain amount of text without getting in trouble. But that's not the way that copyright law works. And copy editors who are properly trained know that. So I reached out to the author of this book and I told them that, listen, you have all these unattributed quotes. Were you working with a copy editor? Because if so, this is a huge issue and they should have actually told you that you can't use this much of someone someone else's text unattributed. And actually, you can't use any amount of someone else's text unattributed if if your work is it, um, if your work is completely dependent upon that quotation because then you're using that other person's intellectual, uh, property. So it's not as simple as I can use one sentence or I can use two sentences or I can use 15 words. That's not how copy, uh, how copyright law works. So I got an email back from her and I, I also brought up other issues that I knew would make readers put that book down immediately. But, um, I got an email back that was like, oh, well, I, I thought I was maybe doing something wrong by using that much unattributed work 
but I'll just I'll just cut it down a little bit and then complete com- that they completely ignored the other things that I said, hey, I'll do a free consultation for you. And I was actually going to tell the author all of the things they needed to fix for free. And uh, of course, you know, now that that book is released and it's out and it has giant unattributed quotes and that author who is instructing lots of other writers on what they should do is setting a really bad example because they are probably going to get sued because a lot of the quotes they use were from really popular books that make the publishing houses that represent them a lot of money and they don't want free giant unattributed quotes floating out there into the world. If you think that publishing houses are generous, uh, maybe you you might want to rethink that. So today I want to explain uh, why it is that you need a copy editor and how to properly vet a copy editor. And let me just say, uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I actually am a copy editor. I founded a copy editing or an editing co-op. And I'm not, listen, this is not just a big uh, promotion for you to hire me. Uh, If you want to hire me, great. I would love to work with you. But if you don't want to hire me, that's fine. But please hire someone else. And I'm going to tell you how not to get burned the way I got burned when I hired inexperienced people who claimed to be copy editors who really had no idea what they were doing. And they should have probably called themselves proofreaders, uh, even though not all of them even did a good job at that, which is a bummer. So don't be like the popular writing group guru who is making a mistake that can cost them a lot of money later on and also teaching other people to follow the mistake that they're making. And one mistake is they clearly did not hire a copy editor, which is a bummer. But the other mistake is when someone said, hey, this is not right, you're going to get in trouble for doing this, they ignore that warning. So if there are people who take time out to try to help you, maybe you should listen. Uh, For me, there was nothing I could gain by taking the time to contact this writer. And I wasn't trying to gain anything. I was just trying to be helpful. And so now I'm basically, uh, as the Bible says, shaking the dust off my sandals. And I am not going to invest in trying to help that writer anymore because they clearly don't value my expertise or my experience. And they don't care about something that is pretty major and not trivial, which is getting sued by one of the big five publishing houses, and actually maybe all five, because that's the extent of the amount of different giant quotations they used in this book, which is supposed to be like a planner, but it doesn't matter. When you publish something, you have to understand permissions, and that's one of the things that you're paying a copy editor to do. So copy editors are basically like life coaches for your book. They keep you from making uninformed or bad choices. And one of the things that you can do in order to understand if you're if you found someone who can actually help be a life coach for your book is to vet them. Uh, and the way that you can vet a copy editor is to have them do a sample. And 
what copy editors do is they look through your work. They look for not just glaring problems, but they look for repetition, uh, which can also be uh, referred to as redundancies. They look for unattributed quotes, which has to do with permissions. They look for inconsistencies and tense jumping. They evaluate the tone of your book. Uh, they should evaluate the tone depending on your target audience. And so that's basically what you want to do in order to vet a copy editor is to create a sample that has all of these things in it to see whether or not the person who you are thinking about hiring can catch them. And if you are trying to find someone who can mesh with you as a writer, uh, then they shouldn't be offended that you want a sample. Copy editors should never be offended that you're giving them a piece that has these things in it because that's what you're looking for. So what I wish I would have done and what I expect people to do when they're hiring me is to give me a sample that has some of these things snuck in to see if I notice them. And if I had known to do this, I would have saved myself thousands of dollars in really bad editing because I was a new writer and I needed more help than the copy editors wanted to give me. And it wasn't that I paid them some low fee. They charged me as much as any copy editor would have charged me. At that point, they charged me the top price point they could have, these two different ones, and one even raised their prices uh, later in between quoting me, which was really unreasonable in my opinion. Um, and so it's, it's not that I was, it, I was paying a discount price. I was not paying a discount price. And there were so many things that got left in my manuscript that should have been edited out, that would have been edited out if I had bothered to vet and find a, an actual qualified copy editor. But the problem is I didn't know any better. And that's why I'm doing this podcast because I want to help you understand what I didn't understand. And so what I did when I was looking for my first copy editor is, uh, well, my first book, I did not have copy edited I had a group of probably like 10 different people read it and all give me notes and I didn't understand what a style guide was or that I shouldn't just change everything style-wise in my manuscript based on one note from one person and then go and the next day see a note from someone else that that was different than the previous note and go back and change. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. I know that some authors think that if they have a giant group of proofreaders, they're going to end up with a really flawless book. No, that's not how it works. You need to have a copy editor and you need to also have uh, alpha readers who can find whatever mistakes get left over, which should not be a significant number. It should not be a significant amount of things that make it through. But as we've discussed, copy editors are people, which means they're not perfect and sometimes mistakes slip through. And so that's you want the alpha readers to catch anything that slips through, but also you want to get a general idea of how your target audience is going to interact with your story. And that's more the point of the alpha reader. Alpha readers should not be acting as your copy editors. And if you're expecting that, you're expecting way too much. When I was going to hire my first copy editor after that whole alpha reader 
notes galore, horrible situation I got myself into. I decided that I was going to go and ask a couple of other writers I knew who were making a ton of money at that time, who um, were doing really well in the indie game. And I asked them, could you please refer me to a copy editor that you use? And one of them said, oh, I don't use a copy editor, but my sister's getting into the game. Or I heard about this one person who you might want to talk to and... They're friends of a friend that you ha- like. They're they're a mutual acquaintance for other people that we know, and I kept getting referrals like that. So I went through and I talked to these different people who said they were copy editors, who were not actual copy editors, and one of them was a teacher. Uh, I love teachers. I applaud everything they do, but just because you're a teacher does not mean that you're qualified to copy edit. Because copy editing is more than just understanding the English language, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more uh, later on in this episode. But copy editing is not the same. Those, those specific skills cannot be acquired simply by having a good understanding of the English language. And so I hired someone who was a previously an English teacher. Then I ended up hiring another person who uh, basically was an administrative assistant, which I used to be an administrative assistant, and I respect them a lot, and I know how hard it is to deal with people like that all day and to have people drop a million things on your desk and think you can do everything. And that's frustrating, and that's a hard job. But that skill set does not qualify someone to be a copy editor. So I basically paid these people thousands of dollars to not know what they were doing with my manuscript. You have to understand that copy editing is not just about fixing grammar problems because there are so many more issues that can come up in a manuscript. And there are so many different kinds of writing as well. So you might have a copy editor that specializes in legal language, or you might have a copy editor that specializes in uh, British style, like British style guides, because those are different than English style guides, right? And a style guide is a book that tells you how to make the text uniform. So, for example, the biggest and most obvious uh, style guide that most people know is the Chicago Manual of Style. And right now we're in the 17th edition. And if you're hiring someone to edit an American-style English manuscript and they don't know what CMOS, the Chicago Manual of Style, is, don't. that's like a big huge red flag, which I didn't know about when I was hiring my first copy editor. And so these are the things that I recommend you put in a sample, a writing sample when you're going to hire a copy editor to see if they pick up these things. The first thing I would do is put in an unattributed quote because you want them to ask, do you have permission to use this in a published book that you're getting paid for? You want them to query about that. And a query is a comment that the copy editor will leave in the file for the writer to address. So if, you, uh, if you're hiring someone to be a copy editor and they don't know what a query is, that is also an extremely huge red flag. The next thing you want to do is purposefully put redundancies in your text and see if they edit them out. Or they might not edit them out, but if they query and say, are you sure you want to 
put again and again, which is what my my lovely and amazing copy editor does every single time I want to be hyperbolic. And I never want her to stop doing that because there are times when I should delete it. And there are times when I absolutely don't want to delete it. But she should always ask, right, if she sees a redundancy. And I should always do that for my clients as well. Uh, another thing that you should put into your text purposefully is an inconsistency. Just switch someone's name, right? That's the that's the easiest mistake for writers to make, I feel like. And it's one that every editor should either query about or fix. If it's an obvious thing, they should fix it. But if it's something that could be one character or another, they should query it. So that's another area for you to look at, something else for you to sneak into your manuscript. I'm giving you the keys here to finding a great copy editor, by the way. And I hope you will do this next time you're looking for someone. Okay, you should also include uh, one or two instances of tense jumping, which writers do accidentally pretty frequently. So you can have a sentence, uh, let's say you're writing in uh, simple present, and you suddenly, okay, let's do opposite. Let's say you're writing in simple past, and then all of a sudden the text is in simple past. The, the next sentence is in simple present. The editor should catch that and fix the tense inconsistency, which is what that's called. And they should also query you about it so that you know that that's what you did so that you can learn from that for future writing endeavors. Uh, the last thing that I would sneak into one of these samples for a copy editor to correct for me is a tonal inconsistency. Because if you are... Basically, anything you're writing has a tone, even nonfiction, even educational things. They have tone. They all have an individual tone, and you don't want to jump out of that tone because it's very jarring for the reader. So let's say I'm sending someone a simple uh, a sample for a romance that's set in rural Arkansas. I don't know why I just picked that, but so let's say I'm doing that. And it's about a woman who is starting her own soap making business, which sounds super fun. I love making soap. That's another nerdy fact about me that I like to make things, including my own soap. And so this person is starting a soap business. And then all of a sudden, this sentence comes in about a rabbit getting caught in one of the traps that was left by the previous owner and there's blood everywhere and the rabbit is screaming, da-da-da-da-da, right? That sounds more like it belongs in some kind of horror book. That doesn't really seem as if it should fit into a book that's about making soap. And even if the event fits into it, all the blood and gore is going to be off-putting to someone who likes to read books about rural romances that center around soap making businesses. Okay, so you need to find an editor who's going to notice when you accidentally jump into another tone that the audience is not going to appreciate. Appreciate. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is, well, I touched on it earlier, that there are many people who think that they can be a copy editor because they believe they have a good handle on the English language and English grammar in general. 
And I'm not just saying that because I've experienced paying for someone who's called themselves a copy editor who's not, but also because I own a cop, uh, an editing co-op. It's all different types of editing, right? There's copy editing, there's developmental editing, there's proofreading. And so I get emails from people who want to be on our Rolodex of editors who think that they can edit. And they send me a sample, and you know what? It's still full of redundancies. It's full of inconsistencies. It has issues with unattributed quotes. There's tense jumping. There's tonal inconsistencies. And there are actually usually gra grammat like glaring grammatical mistakes. So just because someone thinks they can be a copy editor doesn't mean that they are. And I'm going to eat a little bit of humble pie in front of you right now or, or over your ears right now. Because I used to think that, okay, I've been writing for six years. I have a degree in comparative world literature. I have a fairly comprehensive grasp of English grammar. I think I can copy edit. And I was like, well, you know, before I start trying to charge anybody to copy edit, because I had already been working as a developmental editor, which is a different set of skills. And it's just kind of my natural wheelhouse. I really love developmental editing, but I wanted to add copy editing to my repertoire. And so I was like, you know, I'll just enroll in a copy editing course to sharpen my skills. And then I started my first class, which was all about grammar. And I realized I'm dumb. Like I, I did not know half of the stuff I learned in this class. And then I took three more classes you know, over the period of a year and a half. And I realized I would have been a horrible copy editor. It's not just something that you instinctively know. And there are lots of nuances in the industry that you won't know about unless you go through something that teaches you how to apply these skills. And then in the course, I had to edit like fake manuscripts. I had to do all these difficult things and practice writing a polite query that doesn't offend the author. And, you know, I just realized I didn't know hardly anything about what it meant to be a good copy editor. And now that I do know, I want to help you understand that there are people out there who think that they can help you and they will take your money and they will not be able to help you in the way that you need help. Because books are a specific way of communicating and entertaining. And there's all this background knowledge that you need to have and these different lenses that you need to look through if you're going to help your client get the end result that they need. And sometimes, I mean, for developmental editing, one of my biggest jobs is I argue with my clients because I want them to be sure that if they're going to make a decision that's outside of the norm, for publishing that that there's a reason for it and they're not just doing it because they're stubborn which honestly sometimes I just make decisions because I'm feeling stubborn and then I go back and I look at my notes from my copy editor and I, I'm like why am I doing this for example uh, Marie and I that's my wonderful copy editor by the way she was telling me that Kristen, you have to fix this thing because you have POVs, P-O-V, capital, and then S to pluralize it. And then you have C, like the four Cs and capital C apostrophe S. And she's like, why is that apostrophe there? 
And I was like, well, because I didn't come up with the four C's. I'm using it as a source, and that's how I saw it when they used it. And she's like, but it's wrong. And I was like, oh, that's true. It's wrong. And so she didn't bother me about it. We had a couple more discussions where we talked about different queries. And then she's like, I think we should revisit this. I don't think you should put this in. This is inconsistent with the way you did POVs. And also, this is grammatically incorrect. Even though you didn't make up this term, you can fix it now in your book. And so I went back and I fixed all of it. I fixed all of, I took out all of the apostrophes for the four C's because she was right, because it was inconsistent and it wasn't grammatically correct. And I was just doing it because the person who I had read who came up with this concept had done it that way. And just because they did it that way, that doesn't mean that it's the right fit for my book or that it's even correct, which we can make, you know, stylistic choices for our own projects. But that doesn't mean that we need to let other people's stylistic choices impact ours. So one of the important jobs that a copy editor has is to make sure that, you know, the writer's not being stubborn at the expense of reader understanding and clarity. And so, uh, especially as a developmental editor, one of my main jobs is I argue with my client about whether or not something should be there when I feel like it's going to impede the reader's understanding. And we all need that. None of us are perfect. We all need another person to bounce our work off of. And that's one of the ways that copy editors help is you're paying them to fix things, but you're also paying them basically to ask you questions so that they so that you can make cho- informed choices to have better work, to have a better project, uh, to have a better product at the like that the outcome would be better than if you were doing it by yourself. And that is why we need copy editors. That is why even though I am a certified copy editor and I could technically copy edit my own stuff, I don't. I need another person involved. And also because of mistake blindness. So at a certain point in my manuscript, and I'm sure you've all gone through this, where you've edited something three, four, five times, you don't even see the mistakes anymore. Your brain automatically will read the wrong thing and insert the right thing. And that's another reason why we need another pair of eyes going over everything. But it's it's a cooperative process. It's a collaborative process. And it's going to make your work that much better. And also, it's really nice to work on something and then send it off to someone else who can tell you whether or not you accomplished what you were trying to do. That is worth every cent, every penny spent uh, working with a copy editor. And it's why I love Maria so much. I mean, obviously, she's my friend outside of us working on projects together, but I really need her. And uh, Maria, if you're listening to this, I really do need you. And I know you're always saying, oh, no, you don't need I do. I do need you. And I need you to tell me you're being stubborn. And I need you to say, Are you sure you really want to say again and again instead of just again one time because I knew what you meant and all the readers will know what you meant. So thank you for all the things you do for me. I'm so happy that I found you an actual professional copy editor. Uh, And for those of you who don't know, who haven't read Write the Perfect, Read the Fiction Edition, Maria found me. Like we were friends, but she read one of my books and she's like, 
hey, so um, I noticed that you said that you had this edited in the back. I read that. But did you know that there's this mistake and this mistake and this mistake? And she gave me a list of like 25 or 30 pretty significant mistakes, including one huge like plot hole date discrepancy that was literally kind of a nightmare and took me about a week to fix. But she made, she was just trying to be helpful. Remember my story earlier when I was like, I approached this person. I said, hey, I'm going to give you a free consultation. I'll help you out. And then she totally ignored me. Well, I would do it again. I'm, I probably would do it again because Maria did that for me and I ended up hiring her. And now we've worked on a lot of books together, including books that I, I have two books that she edited for me that I haven't even published yet. And I will publish them eventually, I'm sure. But so, you know, she's my go-to person because she came to me and she said, hey, look, I want to help you. And I was like, okay, well, why don't you help me now and I'll pay you to help me. And so now we have a great working relationship and we're actually even able to write books together and edit each other's stuff, hopefully without the end result being both of us crying because sometimes it's really... When you're being so vulnerable with someone and you're giving them something as precious as your manuscript, you want to know that if you cry because of the mistakes you made, that that person won't judge you and that they'll still be compassionate and that they'll want to help you. So it's really important for you to pick someone as a copy editor who's going to be gentle with your manuscript, but who's going to help you understand what things need to change. And also someone who's going to have your back to say, look, legally, you shouldn't do this because you're going to get sued. And if you have any questions about copy editing at all, you can go ahead and write me an email. I'd be glad to answer them. And I just hope that you understand how important it is to not just find a copy editor, but to find someone who's actually qualified as a copy editor who understands how to help and protect your precious manuscript and your amazing story. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.